You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcast. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Vato. What's up? Jason. Hey. Dave. Hey. And all the way from the west side of the state, uh, Kyle Van Strain. Kyle, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Got a little introduction. Kyle Van Strain and John O'Connor are the owners of Long Road Distillers out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, which opened in 2014. Their award-winning spirits are the result of doing everything they can themselves, from selecting and milling their grain to distilling and aging their spirits. They do not buy or source product, as is so common in the industry. They take no, no shortcuts, or, as some would say, they take the long road. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, oh. hey thanks. You like that? <laughs> yeah, that was like nice. That, that, that was written <laughs> <Thank> by Dave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A little, a little plan words there. <laughs> you get it? I got it. I it's got called it. Long Road. I, thanks. <laughs> got it. Joe took the long road to get to that one. <laughs> took him a minute. His was, his was long and winding. Right? Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's just dive right into the what you brought with you, Kyle, because usually we have one or two things. Now, tonight we have six bottles, right? Yeah, I decided to, to bring them all uh, because I'm not over here all that often. So uh, we've got uh, four bottles of our Beer City whiskey, uh, which, uh, you know, coming from Grand Rapids, uh, some would say uh, Beer City USA. Uh, we figured we'd um, kind of play off of that and work with some of the, the breweries that we're good friends with. So these happen to be all uh, west side of Grand Rapids breweries, uh, since we're on the west side. Um, so we've partnered with the Mitten Brewing Company, Perrin Brewing Company, Harmony Brewing Company, and Grayline Brewing Company to take some of their most popular beers uh, and distill them into whiskeys and age them and uh, release them. So uh, this, you know, uh, love the introduction. This is one of the products that we don't actually make from scratch in-house um, because we're sourcing uh, basically a brewer's mash um, from the brewery uh, to to make these whiskeys. Sure, but other than this. But other than this, <laughs> and that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Can, can yeah. you go through the process of how a beer becomes a whiskey? Yeah. So uh, a standard malt whiskey uh, has uh, the majority uh, grain base of uh, malted barley, fifty-one uh, percent or more malted barley. And since most beers are more than fifty percent malted barley, uh, it's pretty easy to turn a beer into a whiskey, into a malt whiskey. So. Um, what we've got is uh, an IPA. Uh, we have a black ale, uh, peated porter, and the gray line, our most recent release, is uh, a mix of an American wheat and a Hefeweizen. So uh, some really fun flavors coming from that. And so this is just beer that goes in the still? Yep. yep. Rip it? And yep. you, you 
yeah, pull it out so, and put it in a barrel for a little while. Yep, we'll do uh, twice distilled, so we'll do a stripping run and a finishing run okay. on our uh, Vendome pot still. Um, but yeah, very, very similar process up until the point where something goes into uh, the still. Uh, the brewing and distilling process is very similar. Um, so uh, we, we like to talk about the back half of our production area as a brewery, uh, and then the front half is where we kind of take a different take a different road uh, to to make our our spirits. And, and so, have do you find that these whiskeys uh, pairings the right word, but like uh, match in terms of so pair and black here uh, or the one we're drinking? Does it match mm-hmm. with the beer that you uh, that it comes from? Yeah, you can get a lot of the flavors. I would say actually the the um, IPA from the Minton Brewing Company, the Country Strong. Uh, is the most obvious of the four in terms of uh, the flavors that come through since it's got uh, such strong hop characteristics. Uh, those things carry over in the whiskey for sure. So um, if you're looking for something that's unique and uh, if, you're, if you love IPA but you're not so sure about whiskey yet, I think this is a great gateway into whiskey uh, because there's such uh, familiar flavors. Um, but this has been a really fun project for us. Uh, we just released... All four of these over the summer, um, gray line just a couple weeks ago, and so we actually had the brewers come in and pour samples of their beer paired with the whiskey, so people could taste them side by side. Uh, and it's that's something that we always uh, thought about doing ourselves with uh, white whiskey, an unaged whiskey, and then the aged version. Um, but unaged whiskey is just not that fun, so we <laughs> we haven't done much of that. Um, but definitely with the the beer and uh, the whiskey, um, great pairing. Yeah. Are these available uh, statewide? They are not. Okay. These are only available in the tasting room in Grand Rapids. Uh, all of them, we only made one barrel of each. Um, and so it's been a pretty small, uh, limited run. But we do hope to scale a couple of these up um, to put into distribution. Um, this was kind of just a, a test to see how things worked and uh, to see how they were received and I think uh, definitely some of these could go go big, for sure. Now the um, you mentioned Grand Rapids, where mm-hmm. you guys are located, um, Beer City, USA, as you said. Uh, how does distilling fit into the the whole Grand Rapids family of uh, of, elk, of booze? That's a great question. Um, we were the first distillery in the city's history. Uh, we couldn't even find evidence of a distillery before Prohibition, which is uh, interesting, pretty unique. Um, and we were kind of welcomed with open arms by the brewing community. We're members of the um, Beer City Brewers Guild. Uh, we've partnered with breweries on projects like this and others. Um, and we, we give a lot of credit to the breweries that came before us. They've kind of paved the way for bigger flavors, more expensive products, um, and, and also uh, the, the local food movement. I know uh, local is kind of a bad word at this point, but, um, you know, good local food means something, and I think that uh, food came before beer in Grand Rapids, and beer came before spirits, and um, so they've kind of begun to open the door for us. Um, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, I hope to get there someday um, because we don't have a strong cocktail scene in Grand Rapids. It's it, it used to be wine, now it's beer. Uh, it's still just beer and wine, uh, and you know I think there's a few restaurants and bars that are starting to change that, um, but it's been a slow process. Is there any sense that? Uh the, the west side of Michigan is kind of considered a more conservative space. Is is, is the lack of distilling a, a, a part a reason for that? Like, is there their connection yeah, connection there? I, I definitely think that the temperance movement was strong in West Michigan um, for sure, uh, pre-prohibition and uh, during prohibition. 
Um, and so I think that plays into it. Um, it was always kind of the, the migrant workers, uh, the, the German folks and the Dutch folks that moved to the west side, the Polish folks that uh, started the breweries and supported the big breweries um, pre-prohibition. There were actually uh, five or six big breweries in Grand Rapids. Um, and it was the working class folks that, that supported those breweries. Um, I do think uh, that that plays into it a bit. Um, I think even more so it's uh, just the, the price conscious uh, nature of people. I don't know that it's necessarily the, the religious nature of, of the place or even the political leanings of the place because um, where we are in Grand Rapids in the city, uh, it's pretty progressive at this point, which has uh, been a great thing uh, to be a part of. Um, but so it's, what's it's the price slow, point on something up. like this? Uh, these are $65. Yeah, so – so a bit more than uh, your average whiskey, sure. Um, but uh, the cost of goods is a lot higher. You know, working from a almost finished beer, um, having those specialty malts and and the the hops as well um, definitely adds to the price. I'm not a beer guy, but I really enjoy this Gray Line, yeah, uh, whiskey. Yeah, I think the first one I tried was this. I think it was the Mitten mm-hmm. one when we were out. I don't way back when a year ago anyway. I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had the the bus tour. Yeah, so we had uh, uh, members of the USBG out, and uh, uh, we were tasting through some barrels, and I think it was the mitten. It was the country strong that you tasted. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. You can taste the, you know, once you guys finish whatever you're doing, try that (laughs) one. And and it's really just the the botanicals are incredible. Really comes through. I mean, would I, if I tasted it, would I know it was an IPA right off the bat? Probably not, but when when you say that, you can make that connection. yeah, I was going to say that. Like, I, I do taste the IPA in it, and um, it, if I drink that without knowing what it was, it would immediately make me question myself. Mm-hmm. Like, is this like a warm, flat IPA almost? Mm-hmm. Because it's that, it's that, the flavor is that strong. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the last one, it kind of like melded together almost. Yeah. Um, that That's fantastic. When, you know? when you're making a, a beer whiskey, do you have in, like down the road thoughts of like uh, mixing uh, kind of? How does it balance? Boilermakers? Well, it. yeah, I mean. <laughs> Fortifying beer. But I mean, like, does, how does it balance off with, like, other kinds of uh, alcohols or, or um, juices or, you know, something like that? I mean, are you intending this to be drank straight? You know, this is, uh, we didn't really have any idea of how people would want to use this. We've, uh, at first, we resisted using it in cocktails, and we just kind of wanted people to try it neat side by side with the beer. Um, but we quickly discovered that um, some of these play really well in certain cocktails, like um, uh, the Country Strong Malt Whiskey, the IPA. It, it's really great in uh, Manhattan um, just because of those hop flavors play really nicely with the, the herbal uh, notes. Um, so really fun to play with. The, um, the Harmony, the, the peated porter that we turned into a malt whiskey, uh, has some nice smoky notes, so you can begin to play with that in – what you would otherwise use a scotch in, um, and uh, those smoky flavors definitely carry through nicely. Uh, so it just depends. Um, but I don't. I mean, sky's really the limit, and that's one of the things that we've tried to do is to be creative, try new things, do things people aren't doing, um, because that's how we've got to set ourselves apart in this industry. Definitely. So I think the the point of doing things people aren't doing could lead us into the next uh, couple bottles that are on the mm-hmm. table here. It's something I know literally nothing about um and uh so this is the aquavit is it, is aquavit, it, is it? aquavit. Yeah. it really depends on the country you're from how you pronounce it um 
I, we've now taken uh, the Aquavit pronunciation, um, but in Denmark, a lot of folks will say Aquavit. Aquavit yeah. um, just depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a, a nice old lady call me on the phone one day and say, uh, repeat to yourself, feet, 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 Aquavit. Okay, so that's how I'm going to say it from now on because <laughs> grandma told me so, and so that's how I do it. <laughs> okay, so w- what is aqua? Aquavit. It is a a traditional Scandinavian spirit. Uh, We would say that it's very similar to a gin in the way that it's produced, um, uh, infused with botanicals and then redistilled. Um, But instead of juniper being the predominant flavor like you would get in a gin, uh, it's caraway and or dill. Um, And then a lot of U.S. distilleries in particular have really taken to the Oh yeah, I've never had this. So yeah, I'm, you've never I'm had try this. One. So go ahead, give it yeah. a try. Um, I've probably drank twenty gallons of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, fennel and star anise and get anise, the on this. yeah. yeah. Um, and so we we tried to make our original aquavit uh, in a really traditional style where the caraway is the forward flavor. So you should get you know rye bread flavors right up front. Transitions into sort of a savory flavor with uh, fresh dill, dill seed, a little bit of cumin, some cinnamon. Uh, and then it finishes with a little hint of black licorice from wow. the fennel and the star anise. Um, so this is uh, one of the things that really early on we knew we wanted to make for selfish reasons. You could uh, rarely get it in Michigan. It was often out of stock on the imports. Um, and we knew we liked it. We also wanted to make some of the more old world spirits using local ingredients and just give it a try and see how it worked. Uh, and this is one we 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 worked on for months before we ever – scaled it up and put it into a bottle. Um, and it's done quite well for us. Um, and that's a, yeah. different bo- that's a different bottle size than the original one? Yeah, we've, okay. we've updated our packaging. Same thing. Same thing. Okay. Yep, yep. And this really is like <clears throat> all of our bartenders have really embraced. We, we were using um, Alborg, you mm-hmm. know, five years ago, which w- was one of the Aquavits that we could get in Michigan. They got bought out by, as we were talking before, Lini, the parent company of Lini. And now they're both really difficult to get. When this stuff came out, all of my guys immediately embraced it, especially the barrel aged, uh, just because it's so like it's kind of that blend of it's a little bit absinthe, it's a little bit gin, you know, mm-hmm. it's got a totally unique flavor profile from anything else out there. Uh, it's a lot of fun to mix with. Yeah, yeah. I think the first time I heard Aquavit uh, sounds pretty pedestrian, but I remember the movie Sherlock Holmes, the Robert Downey Jr. <clears throat> sure, I mean I remember that it came out. There was <laughs> there was a there was a there was a moment in the movie. I had to Google it or whatever, but there was a moment in the movie where he said something and, he was, and they said something about uh, I don't know drinking something, and he and he said no, it was probably Aquavit, and I was like Aquavit, and then, <laughs> there you know, so I find a lot of stuff in pop culture that way, and I I always wonder in like my head like if other people are doing the same thing, and then they're googling it, going to the bar, be like, hey, I just saw this, blah blah, blah. do you have it, and you know you're sound. It sounds like it's you guys can't get it, so you you go to the bar and people don't have it. Yeah, yeah, and this is you know we do get calls for this from not just in Michigan. We're only in distribution in Michigan right now, uh, but we get calls for it from all over the country, all over the world. Uh, and we just got back from Copenhagen, uh, the the world's first Aquavit festival uh, in Denmark. Uh, where it was, a, it was a whole festival it was dedicated. A festival, yeah, really, yeah. How many? Uh, there were 40 different distilleries wow. there. Yeah. Awesome. So three of us from the U.S. And uh, um, I think it, it kind of came out of our award in Berlin. Our uh, barrel-aged Aquavit um, won us the Aquavit Distillery of the Year Award. And so that, uh, I think, probably triggered some things. But Like wor- worldwide? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 
Um, that's fantastic. And our original Aquavit, that's by far our most award-winning spirit. Um, we we actually won Best of Show at the American Craft Spirits Association Awards this year in Nashville, um, beating out 800 spirits from uh, over a thousand different distilleries um, that you know could have participated. They're all members of this national association, so mm. um, pretty cool. Uh, to have a clear spirit and then a really kind of uncommon spirit uh, win for the first time. So I, I have to ask about – you mentioned like a whole like shopping list of spices that mm-hmm. goes into this. How do you – obviously there's probably recipes that are out there that you can reference. But how do you get to a point where you're – like how do you test out if there's enough cumin or enough fennel mm-hmm. or enough dill or how do you get to that point? We, I mean, we just did a lot of test batches, um, and a lot of it came down to research, trying to figure out what the the predominant flavors in a traditional aquavit should be, um, because we didn't want it to be uh, just another American aquavit. We really wanted it to fit into the more international aquavit scene. Um, but beyond that, we have a five-gallon still that we run test batches on at least a couple times a week. Um, whether that's new aquavit flavors or different gin botanicals um, and or, you know, whatever new uh, Amaro or liqueur or whatever we're working on. Uh, and so it, it was countless uh, batches through our five-gallon still before we then transitioned that into our 25-gallon still and then to our 125-gallon still. And now we run batches on our 500-gallon still um, just to keep up with demand. And this is one that's available at – Yep. All over, all over yep. the state. Yep, this is available all over uh, Michigan. Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how is this received? I know you have a lot of demand for it. Is there a lot of demand like, outside of Grand Rapids? Is there a lot of demand for it locally? Do people come into the bar and like request this or are there cocktails that they're – the popular cocktails that – Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that we've become known for. And so I think people seek us out and know that that's something that's unique about us. There's – you know – there's pockets of people that uh, it's very traditional in their families to drink Aquavit on the holidays. And so um, those folks will come and seek it out because they can't find the, the traditional Scandinavian Aquavits. Um, but we've, we've really tried to embrace it um, now that it's done so well for us to uh, incorporate it into our cocktail menu um, and try to, try to build that kind of cultural phenomenon that they have in Scandinavian countries with this. Um, but then kind of with our own little twist. So um, it's not just something you drink on Christmas and Easter, but it's something that you can enjoy uh, year-round. But um, saying that, uh, we plan to make December Aquavit Month for us at the distillery. We'll, we'll, we'll have just strictly an Aquavit cocktail menu to really highlight all the different ways that you can use it because that's our the most common question is, how do I actually enjoy this? Because I have no idea what to do with this. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's really a unique product. It's so cool. And the barrel age, you got to try the barrel age next. It's oh, just, yeah, I would love to. It's yeah. great. It really I, really changes the changes the whole profile of it. I lo- I looked it up but uh, <clears throat> you guys were talking and then he said Aquavit not it was they were confusing it with schnapps. Hmm. Ah, yeah. which is very confusing. Uh so <laughs> I didn't know this until we went to Copenhagen for the festival, but um, Aquavit has very um, specific guidelines for what it can and can't be. Uh, it has to have um, caraway and dill and a certain – there's certain parameters. It's a lot like whiskey is here um, or you know, a lot of spirits for that matter um, where they have to, to follow certain guidelines. Um, 
but snaps or snops are kind of the wild west. It's sort of like gin has become where, you know, you throw some juniper in there, then you can put anything in it that you want and you don't have to have that predominant flavor anymore. Um, so snaps, they, they, uh, I tried some bacon snaps. It's basically a flavored vodka more or less yeah. is what it comes yeah. down to, at least in Denmark where we were. So can we jump to uh, back when you mentioned competing? One of the things that I think you and I have chatted about briefly um, is like you know you 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 look in your award you look in your uh, web page and and when you guys set up you've got the banner with like you know f- 150 different awards that you've won. You know what I'm interested in is like what what goes into that process. I mean you know you've obviously got to send out product. I'm mm-hmm. sure that you've got to pay some sort of fee. Uh, how do you see that? Ha- you know, how do you see that process right now? Um, I mean, it's a, it's very, it's very like, oh, we we took gold medal at the you know Denver you know yeah. gin show or whatever. You know, I mean, yeah, it, there one are so of many twenty five gold medals in the category. exactly. Yeah, there are so many now that it's kind of like you know, where, what do you yeah. believe? You know, what what don't you believe? Yeah, someone needs to <clears> set up the Michigan International Spirits Contest though, because people will pay you lots of money and they yeah. will send you lots of bottles that will stock your bar. For years, sure. trust me, that um, wouldn't be legal. I, I couldn't do it, but, yeah. <laughs> um, as a distillery, but yeah. you guys might be able to. You should look into it. Yeah, um, okay. Maybe you already have. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have a bakery, so I could have. Yeah, it. there you be go. The, the Ackroyd's uh, Spirits Competition, Ac- <laughs> international. <laughs> Get some Scottish bakeries, <laughs> whiskey competition. I don't know something. Yeah. We'd work out a better name than that, <laughs> right? <laughs> So, I mean, you know, there's a lot. So just walk us through the process if you would. Yeah. So, I mean, for us starting out, you know, we're just over uh, just about two and a half years old um, and we knew we had some good products. And so just looking at the landscape, trying to figure out how we gain some recognition, um, you look at what competitions can we enter, what's out there. Obviously, we want to enter the association competitions where we're competing against other craft distilleries because we want to see how we stack up. Um, and so those are those are sort of no brainer competitions where um, you know there's there's two national associations they each have you know close to a thousand members and so um, we want to compete there we want to see you know what other people are doing and and how the judges um, feel about our stuff but it is uh, you know each competition is different um, obviously you always have to send in samples uh, so there's that cost but then. Uh, cost to participate ranges anywhere from $50 to $700 per product that you're entering. Mm-hmm. So I can get really expensive, um, but you kind of have to weigh the uh, the cost benefit. Um, going to San Francisco, the San Francisco World Spirits Competition is one of the, the largest and uh, you know most renowned spirits competitions in the world. And so that's one of the more expensive competitions. Um, you do it not just for the potential of winning a medal and getting high honors, um, but also you're exposed to that panel of judges. And so you have to kind of look at who who is the judging panel. Is it just 17 dudes in a in an apartment? Um, or is it a bunch of, you know, spirits writers and uh, bartenders, renowned bartenders and sure, things like that? Sure. Um, because if you can get your spirit in front of them and they love it, uh, you know, who knows what could happen? And we've had that um, with our Aquavit. It's been incredible to see, um, you know, beyond just winning, you know, best of shows at a couple competitions or best Aquavit or best gin or whatever. Um, we've had journalists and authors 
come out with these blog posts a month later that we had no idea were coming um, and said, you know, this is one of the American gins you have to try right now. This is Fred Minnick, who's, uh, you know, kind of the the bourbon patriarch yeah. of yeah. Kentucky now. Uh, he he uh, wrote that it wasn't a bourbon at the American Craft Spirits Association judging that caught his eye. It was this, you know, Aquavit from Grand Rapids, Michigan that you have to try. Cool. And so he had this, you know, big old testimonial about how it was the greatest thing ever. Wow. And that, that's great. And it's just these, you know, kind of after effects of, of entering these competitions. And so we've become a little bit more discerning at this point. Um, but you do it because it makes sense, uh, you know, to Joe, Joe Schmo thinks it's really cool. Um, it doesn't matter. Sorry, no offense, Bill. <laughs> I know. I get that all the time. I it's it, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and you pointed at me. That uh, was the... <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said anything otherwise. <laughs> it's Hakeem. All right. <laughs> uh, but anybody, you know, uh, just guy walking down the street uh, thinks it's cool that you won a gold medal, um, but there's some competitions that it, it makes a, you know, a bigger impact than just that. Sure. So how many competitions have you guys entered? Boy, uh... You know, I think last year we entered 10 different competitions mm. um, and varying degrees of participation. Some of them we just sent our Aquavit. Some of them we sent our whole portfolio. Um, we don't really send in our vodka because why right. uh, at this point, you right. know? Um, Valentine so, already won best vodka in the world. Yeah, there's that. So. Um, <laughs> what, what What is that? I mean, vodka – and why do you say like why? Like so, vodka is not something that has any prestige behind it. No, or no, something? I I think that it definitely does. Um, I appreciate vodka for what it is. The problem is that vodka is such um, a crowded category uh, and a very competitive category. So, does it make sense for us to enter our in Michigan thirty dollar bottle of vodka into a competition when there's some uh, pretty great seventeen dollar bottles of vodka? Um, or even cheaper. Um, Is price point a consideration? Price point's a consideration oh, okay. and for us. And so we don't go out and we don't we don't push our vodka and distribution, even though we stand behind it. We think it's excellent. Um, our cost to produce it is a lot higher than some of those large vodka producers uh, can do it for. Uh, and in Michigan, unfortunately, our uh, spirits tax is a markup instead of a gallonage tax. So um, we pay... Well, the consumer pays a higher tax, um, higher tax dollar um, built into the retail built into the retail cost, yeah. uh, cost for our product versus uh, Kettle One or something. So, um, so go back to that. What you said, it's instead of a gallon. A gallonage. So, so at the federal level, uh -huh. uh, it's an excise tax based on proof gallons. So ah, okay. um, uh, a gallon of alcohol at 100 proof, uh, it's you know a little over 13 dollars a proof gallon. So on our bottle of vodka, uh, we'll pay about $2.40 in federal excise tax. At the state level, we have to say to the state, we're going to sell it for X number of dollars based on our cost of goods and what little margin we think we can squeak out. And that's the state minimum, right? Or well, and then the state marks it up, ah, okay. uh, 65% for them, 14 point something for 65%? everyone else. 65%? Yeah. And wow. just coming back from Ontario, it's nothing. <laughs> it's yeah. it's really nothing. Oh, yeah. but Ontario it's, it's, is higher. Yeah, it's okay. very significant compared to you know Indiana. But like and some of Indiana these other is nothing. States. Indiana That's is nothing. way less. Oh yeah, like in terms of their cheaper like, to produce, cheaper to sell. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so and so it, it it impacts the consumer. But 
The problem for us is since it's a markup and not based on the gallonage, uh, it's exponentially higher. The shelf price becomes exponentially higher for our product versus sure. you know a, a lower cost producer. Sure. So I think, but going back to the competition, so price point is that one of the factors in the competition? I'm trying to think about competitions in terms mm-hmm. of like as a bartender, there's all these competitions and everyone has different requirements and you've got to make different drinks. But for a spirits competition, you're you're not making new spirits for competitions. You're sending them what you've already been yep. working on, your already established products. And then what are the parameters of the competitions? Like what are they what are you competing on? So it, it depends on the competition. Uh, I would say twenty percent of the competitions that we've entered have asked for retail price. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how they can even begin to judge based on that because the retail price in every state is going to be wildly different and every country is going to be different. Um, So like the SIP Awards, which is a a big consumer tasting event um, where it's not, you know, spirit industry professionals that are judging it. It's uh, Joe off the street uh, (laughs) who gets invited in, who's never had Aquavit before, sits down at a table (laughs) and, uh, and then he tastes through this, you know, flight of different spirits and judges based on that. Okay, they, wait, wait. Let me. I want to, I'm gonna jump in there because that sounds outrageous. So <laughs> it, it, you could you're telling me that someone could judge a spirit literally. knowing nothing about. So Aquavit? I, my understanding of that competition is that they do guide people through it. Okay, but it's not like some competitions where judges have to train their brains to like set aside their preconceived notions about what a gin should taste like hmm. and really think about you know. Is, does this stack up? Is this really good quality? Does it have nice flavors? It might not taste like Tanqueray 10 or whatever, but it's really good quality. And compared to these other ones, it's the best. Um, some of them, like uh, like the SIP Awards, I don't know what kind of coaching they give those judges. Um, I think it's simply, is this enjoyable or not? Not necessarily, does this fit really well into the category? Is this, you know the epitome of what an aquavit should taste like. It's more, how much do you like this? Um, and so... Yeah, would you sip it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. one of the other things, Joe, is like with the vo- getting just touching back on the vodka, like vodka is such a nuanced thing because it's so... It's 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 so... Um, the differences are so, mm-hmm. so granular between two premium vodkas. So, you know, you're sipping Grey Goose or Kettle One and it's like, I mean, you know, you've really got to be drinking a lot of those to know the difference between the two of those. You know, it's very it's very granular. So it's like, you know, you're not going to really stand out. It's much much more difficult, I guess, to stand out in that kind of category. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's a spirit that's typically mixed, and so sure. you don't necessarily highlight the flavors of that vodka in a cocktail. Uh, whereas with an aquavit or a whiskey or something else, um, you want that spirit to stand out um, versus whatever fruit or sugar or. What was the last one that we just cracked? I don't know. That's Aaron, the pear and black. black. The oh, yeah. black. That's yeah. your favorite, that's isn't it? That's my favorite. It. I yeah. knew it. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah, that's Perrin, a good one. Perrin, uh, oh, that's really smooth. Is, uh, yeah, so like a, nice. Yeah. yeah. I love – Perrin Black is one Very of my smooth. favorite beers. Yeah. It's, it's – it looks like a stout. Yeah, I'm saying. Joe off the streets. Joe off the streets. He was coached to say that. Uh, the the Perrin Black. It's it looks like a stout or a porter, um, but it drinks a lot more like an ale or a lager. It's it's so bright and crisp. Um, it has some of those kind of roasty malt notes, um, but before the malt is um, 
uh, is milled down and turned into a beer, they'll take the husks off, which gives a stout or a porter those really kind of like thick, heavy flavors. Um, so it's really nice and bright. And I think that carried over in the whiskey before the hops kind of reappeared um, because these have changed in the bottle after we bottled them and took them out of the barrel, bottled them. Um, the hops kind of reappeared. But before that, you got like really nice floral honey uh, and then just a just a splash of that dark malt characteristic. Um, I think the hops have kind of crept up now at this point. Um, but still, yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, the profile is great, though. I mean, it's like it's really there's a ton of structure. Like you know, there's a start, mm-hmm. middle, and end to it. It's great, and and really that finish is just malty and hoppy, really nice. Yeah, very. I, I had two more questions about the uh, competitions. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there any constructive feedback from judges that you get at the competitions? Um, it, it depends on the competition again. For the two competitions with our national associations, they're very intentional about giving you the all of the judges' notes um, so that you can get a really kind of clear picture of what went into their thinking on whether you got a medal or not or you were best of show or whatever it might be. Um, and it's incredible to see the different perspectives on things. Um, even with our Aquavit this year, um, when – the judges agreed that it was the best. There were, you know, one or two judges that still didn't quite understand what was going on there, um, and didn't and didn't care for it. And I think that personal taste does come into it, um, and that's where a bigger panel of judges probably helps um, to kind of weed those personal preferences out. Um, but yeah, it's it's very helpful, and I think that's the point of the association is to help build the the industry so that you know. Uh, and in a lot of the the judges on that panel are actually distillers themselves, and so they'll say, "Yeah, you uh, went a little deep in the tails on that one. Maybe you should make your cuts a little tighter on your whiskey um, because we're catching this or that." Um, and so it's it's really mostly constructive. Although I heard there was one judge that didn't get invited back to judge this year because he hurt a lot of feelings. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just so, what I heard. <laughs> so the second is that. Are there any boots on the ground type um, approaches from distillers? Or you know, the people show up and campaign, or is it simply like a here's the stuff and yeah, it's it's most it's almost always a double blind tasting. So they won't know what pro what brand they're tasting at that uh, point. Um, and a lot of times it's done well in advance of whatever reception or ceremony that you might have. So. Um, the American Craft Spirits Association judging is actually happening uh, this fall, and the conference isn't even until I think it's February or March next year. Um, so there's not an opportunity to go lobby on right. your behalf at this right. at this type of thing. So uh, it is Bourbon Heritage Month, and uh, you guys <laughs> you guys have a bourbon. We do actually. We're currently out of stock. Okay, uh, so we've run out of our bourbon. We've released several batches of bourbon, um, all different mash bills, all different ages, uh, in an effort to figure out what we really like. Um, as uh, you know, almost none of us have done this. Uh, we, John and I hadn't done this before. We haven't made a bourbon from a Michigan grain before. Uh, we have a team of experienced distillers that have made bourbon elsewhere. Um, but we didn't know exactly what we would like and what we wanted to move forward with and really invest in heavily going forward. So um, we did 
uh, five or six different mash bills. Um, we age them for different lengths of time, mostly in 30-gallon barrels. Uh, with the surface area, you're going to get a little bit um, more uh, quick maturation. Uh, and so we could tell um, which mash bills we wanted to move forward with. And then we've blended some of them. We've released some of them as single barrels, uh, just single mash bills. Um, but now we've kind of scaled up into full-size barrels uh, with one or two different mash bills that we really like. Um, but, uh, yeah, we will have uh, another small batch coming out here in the next couple weeks. And then uh, at the end of the year will be our first uh, straight bourbon release, uh, so over two years old. Cool. Um, which is really great uh, because we understand the benefits of longer aging on bourbon for sure. Um, but we've been really um, – intentional about um, the mash bills and the cuts that we're making on our smaller barrel whiskeys um, to try to make them uh, the best that they can be out of a small barrel for a shorter period of time. Is there a push from consumers that kind of forces you to have a bourbon on? Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. For sure. They expect a bourbon? Yes. We've had guys walk in we have four or five other whiskeys on our back bar at this point. Um, and they'll want a bourbon. And if we don't have a bourbon, they're walking out, which is just really? crazy to me. We, I mean, and we, you know, we train our staff to, you know, coach people through it. Like, what do you like about bourbon? And it, inevitably the guy has no idea what he likes about bourbon. Sure. He just likes bourbon. Sure. Uh, and so we'll try to coach people and, you know, try this. If, do you like, uh, you know, you think you like Pappy. You've never had Pappy. But everyone says you've got to like Pappy. So why don't you try our wheat whiskey? Because it's just a weeded bourbon that sure. you really think you like. So why don't you try this? Because it's got great flavors, some very similar flavors. And so it's a, it's an uphill battle at times. But um, it always helps to have the bourbon there. So I think you you kind of get, get to a point there where staff training comes into play, right? Yeah. So how do you train your staff if – Right now, you have no bourbon in stock. Like, how do you let them know that? Do they? Is it through tasting? Is it through personal kind of? Is there coaching that happens? Like, how do you guys do that with our staff? You're yes, um, we we have regular staff meetings. We do some uh, tastings. I mean, whenever we come out with a new product, we'll always introduce that at a staff meeting um, where people can try it. Um, and then we have you know basically cut sheets on all of our products so that they can always refer back to them to see, you know, here's what our distillers think about these products and what flavors should be, you know, prevalent for folks. Um, But again, everyone has different taste and so they're going to taste different things. Um, But yeah, we'll definitely try to to coach people through. Um, And especially with products like Aquavit, that that takes a lot more consumer education at the table or at the bar um, than our vodka or our bourbon, for example. Um, where people sort of have an understanding or they think they have an understanding of what those should be and what they should taste like. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, we have an opportunity, I think, uh, to educate people on new types of spirits and on uh, new experiences. As a distiller who's, um, you know, at some point looking to branch out into other bars and party stores and things like that, how do you how do you educate their customers? Or do you, do you leave that up to the proprietor? You work really closely with the on-premise um, bars and make sure that the on-premise is teaching the uh, – educating the consumer. That's right. That's my – that's what I say to the the suppliers. I mean I think it's relevant. It's true. You know, like, same, same for party stores? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, like you go into a bar. I'm sorry to totally no, co-opt that's great. that question, I, but like you go into true. a bar, right? And you you talk, you trust your bartender. You get to know your bartender, sure. whatever place. And he says, "Oh, you like uh, Maker's Mark? Maybe try Larceny from Heaven Hill. It's also a weeded. It's also a weeded bourbon." Or you like Pappy? Try Maker's or try Larceny, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then you go to the party store and you buy that. That bo- you say, "Oh yeah, I like this. I only spent seven bucks or eight bucks to to try it. I didn't have to buy a whole bottle." Then you go to your party store, your off-premise account, and you buy that bottle. That is what I think is so important about our um, system in Michigan is that you know you really can try all these different things at your local bar, and so then it can go as far as barrel-aged Aquavit, you know, which is a super obscure category. But like, instead of just going into a party store and being like, "Yeah, I'm going to drop sixty bucks," I don't. How much is it? Uh, this is thirty-seven. Okay, wow, that's so, really reasonable. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thirty-seven is a store. <laughs> yes, really. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. That's a steal. I'm, yeah, that's a I that's want, a buy. That's yeah, a buy right. definitely. But even still, 100%. you you get my point. Instead yeah, yeah, of going in and absolutely. dropping thirty, forty bucks on a bottle that you've never had, you can go to a you know you go to your local bar and, and uh, you know try it out for. You but know, you got to have a bar a that educates their staff for sure. Yeah, it can't just be a you know chain restaurant that that, that has its. You know, but, run of the mill, but there of, are right. brand ambassadors too, right? And I, I don't know if you guys are to a point where you can. You no, have that's me and John. That's you. Yeah, well, that's right, us. but you yeah. yeah. owners. So, <laughs> but but there is a point where you can be like, okay, we need to hire someone else. Yep. To, yep. to do our, you know, to, to tell people about our product and yep. to be all over the place. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, unfortunately, and so uh, we do what we can to go out and educate folks. Um, one of the things that we do, not enough, but um, what we try to do is, um, you know, definitely on-premise is important and identifying those um, bars and restaurants that uh, can be good brand ambassadors for you. Uh, it's You've got to have a good relationship with them and they have to understand your product so that they can share that information. Um, that's number one. And looking at new markets, that's our number one marketing approach. It's not to drop a million dollars on billboards and things like that because, um, you, we don't have a million dollars to do that, um, but we can go make friends with the bartender who can then spread the gospel of Long Road. Um, off-premise is harder. Uh, going into a party store and doing a tasting is important, um, but the way we think about that is not the 45 people that are going to come through and try our gin and our Aquavit that night, but it's spending those three hours with the, uh, the staff at that retailer um, and really having them hear our spiel over and over and over again and having them come by and ask, so you said this, tell me more about this so that they can really get a, a more in-depth understanding of it so that they can hand sell that um, because it's hard for us to create a pull without lots of marketing dollars, but it's really important to try to generate that pull. And the pull comes from the on-premise accounts. Where- yeah, I was going to say about off-premise because I visit a lot of the uh, um, retail locations in Metro Detroit, have established good relationships with most of them. But I've noticed over time sometimes when stopping in that like some of the bigger brands, they outsource that um, – instance where they'll have somebody go there, set up a table for three hours and they'll be doing the tastings and they'll either be, you know, they'll have a person there that is really clueless about the product or 
they're forced to, you know, serve it in some way with like really shitty pineapple juice or some, some <laughs> yeah. really, something yeah. really bad yeah. Yeah. where it's like, you may actually be shooting yourself in the foot because sure. when I go there, I'm just like, wow, that is not a great experience. And no, I don't awful. like that. Did not represent no. the brand. Did I'll not represent you. the brand also. A I don't these, know. Yeah. A lot of these big companies hire marketing firms yes. to do that. Modeling agencies. Yeah. It's yeah. But bad modeling agencies. Yeah. I'll tell you what's yeah. worse than that is these fairs that you, that you have that, labeled as like a whiskey fair or a bourbon fair and you get there and you get up to the booth with your seven tickets for your one drink and you're like oh uh, i don't know the difference between these two and the person behind the bar is like hey i'm just mm. yeah. I'm, just paid I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a volunteer yeah. i'm a volunteer i'm, I'm a just volunteer. paid to pour drink right. yeah. like, yeah. lcc for you though. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how can you not tell me anything about this yeah like, it's i awful. mean education i think is, is hugely important i mean without if no one told me that these were like you said if no one told me that these were made from beer i wouldn't necessarily have known it but once you said it like you they said it was Make clear action, like yeah. i c- completely tasted it yeah. Like, yeah uh and that's that's a huge uh marketing point just in and of itself but mm-hmm. so yeah. along, along the education uh route um you know being being kind of the new the first kind of craft cocktail bar which is mm-hmm. part of your program in grand rapids does a does a beer geek bartender easily turn into a craft cocktail geek bartender? Uh, th- another good question. Um, we have, you know, from the get-go, we had one or two experienced bartenders. And by experienced, I mean they worked in a bar where there were cocktails. Mm-hmm. But there was also a lot of beer and wine, and that sure. was the predominant focus of those restaurants. Um, we've had a couple of really cocktail-focused places in Grand Rapids. Most of them have closed over yeah. the years. Um, so like Viceroy was one that came and went, unfortunately. Um, but that was, you know, that was, unfortunately, it was probably five years ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that the one in Stella's? Yes. Okay. Yep. And that probably yep. today probably would be okay. I think it would do fine. Yeah. Yeah. Inside Stella's the the fry and burger place. The mm-hmm. yeah. okay. The there was like a place? side or back room there. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't like even a, know. There's another when space did that close? That. When was it open? Oh man, it had <laughs> at least three or four three, four years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was yeah. I was literally there at that point and like didn't even know it existed. Yeah. yeah. It, they were really like speakeasy about it. You had oh, to come in off of the back okay. street and you had to have a password for a little while. And then I think they figured out that that wasn't really a draw. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then they started to market it a little bit. But it was one of those places where, unfortunately, it took 12 minutes to get a cocktail when it didn't necessarily need to. Um, and so part of it is educating bar owners and uh, bartenders that you might have craft cocktails, quote unquote craft cocktails, but it doesn't, you can still have a system for uh, creating cocktails um you know, that don't take terribly long. But um, a couple of our bartenders came with no bartending experience beyond just slinging some cheap beers, um, but they had a passion. They were dedicated to hospitality and service, and um, a couple of them were really eager to put uh, cocktail programs in dive bars, which we thought was really awesome and hilarious. Uh, And so – you know, they'd been banging their heads against the wall. And, you know, our one of our head bartenders, Adam Rodriguez, uh, came from this place called Joey's where uh, he's got stories from there. But he wanted to make cocktails. And so he came super eager to learn um, but didn't know how to make more than a handful of different drinks. He specialized in shots, you know, the really slutty shots. Uh, and so – but, you know, coming in 
we had a system. Our, our general manager, Daniel, uh, created um, a fairly broad um, cocktail menu based on just three spirits when we opened. Um, but he, you know, being a, a distillery, a producer in Michigan, we have to make all of our own mixers. So vermouth and um, bitters and anything with alcohol in it, we had to make ourselves. And mm. so we sort of decided to take advantage of that and um, make a lot of really unique flavors in our tinctures and bitters and things. Um, and but but it's very systematic. So we we measure our pours. We don't you know free pour and. Every drink should come out the same, same pour, the same wash line, same, uh, same ratios because we want that the guest to come back again and again. And if they want uh, their cold vein to taste the same as it did last time, it needs to um, so that they come back again and again and they bring their friends and try this. This is crazy. Sure. Um, and so that's very important for us. And for someone that has a passion and a desire uh, to be a, a bartender – and they understand systems and they can work in a hurry, um, they can fit into that. They can be trained uh, to make drinks. The challenge we've found now is trying to train our bartenders uh, to think bigger than Long Road um, because we can't you know, serve tequila or whatever. Um, we've had to find other avenues for them to educate themselves uh, more broadly on cocktails so that they can help us come up with new cocktails, new drink recipes um, to always keep our menu fresh. And so, you know, whether that's sponsoring their first year in the USBG so they can go to different brands tastings and uh, educate themselves or just having a a whole library of books in the office that they can come and read about classic cocktails and things like that or, um, you know, having internal competitions where uh, we're still working on this, but, you know, just trying to uh, have them come up with new ideas where they can be critiqued without, you know, running it by a guest where it might not be the experience that we're trying to portray. Um, it's, a, it's a battle, um, but it's something that we're, we're trying to do um, to, to elevate um, the scene, not just at Long Road, but in Grand Rapids in general. Yeah. Yeah. So y- you guys have a... Uh this is looking at your Facebook page. You have a full service restaurant too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how does food play into the um, the whole uh, cocktail uh, thing and, and the, the pairing with the the you know a beer city whiskey or something like that? Like, food doesn't seem to, food is all, seems to always be an afterthought at these craft cocktail places, yeah. right? Like, it, it's not something that people look for necessarily. Um, so, was that was food? A forethought or was it an afterthought? For us, it was definitely an afterthought when we started. Um, We wanted to make the best spirits in the world in Grand Rapids from local ingredients. That was our number one goal. Our next goal, we wanted to have the best cocktail bar in West Michigan. Um, And so those two things were paramount for us. We knew that if people were going to come enjoy a few cocktails, they wanted some – they're going to need some food to stick around. And so – then we built a kitchen in a room smaller than this, actually about half the size of this room, um, where we were putting out sandwiches and salads and soups and small plates um, just to keep people around. Uh, it was always our plan to build out a full kitchen um, because we understand uh, the value in being able to pair you know, really good food with a really well-crafted cocktail. Um, and giving people that more full experience instead of just coming in before or after dinner for a drink, 
um, being able to walk them through whatever pairings or courses or whatever it is. Uh, and so in May, we opened our, our larger uh, kitchen um, that we built out next door, and that's uh, been really good for us. Um, we brought in a new chef. Uh, we've basically doubled our staff, which is scary as hell, um, and, but we've had a lot of fun with it. And I think we haven't even scratched the surface of the potential for that um, because people still, people still think of us drink first. Um, they're they're coming to us for the cocktails first, and so trying to now after two years of being open, try to establish ourselves as a food destination as well is difficult because we're in a, a neighborhood that's up and coming, um, but it's not the neighborhood that's supporting us yet. We're still a destination for folks. Who, who do you share the neighborhood with in terms of other locations that? We are right next door to the Mitten Brewing Company. Uh, okay. So you tried their uh, Country Strong IPA malt whiskey. Is Ben over there still? Ben, Ben Darcy, Ben Darcy is not Ben Darcy. Oh. Is at Gravel Bottom? Gravel now. Bottom. Yep. Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, floating around, um, the traveling, the traveling <laughs> Ben Darcy. Um, no, he so was the at Mitten, Vivant too, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Vivant. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the Mittens right next door. They opened a couple years before us. They kind of proved that uh, a new business could come into the neighborhood and not fail um, because we have some really awesome longstanding businesses, you know, jewelry shops and shoe stores and a couple of restaurants and uh, some more industrial businesses. But our neighborhood has seen had seen better days. Um, you know, it, it, it was on kind of a 30-year lull. Um, and now there's I get that uh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very similar to Corktown. Yeah. You know, it's so similar to that. Um, but now you know we opened about the same time a barbecue street uh, barbecue joint across the street opened up. Uh, we've got uh, a hard cider guy moving in next door to us, a good friend of ours. Um, just a mile south of us is Bridge Street. That's where everything's happening in downtown Grand Rapids right now on the west side. Um, and so. We're, we see a little bit of that uh, impact, but I think Leonard Street's kind of the, the next frontier, and there's a lot of great things happening there um, with residential and, and business development. Um, but it, it's still tough sledding sometimes um, being in an up-and-coming neighborhood, and you guys know all, all about that. So I mean, I mean, it sounds like the but the Akavit money is going to float you. No, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I mean, we still sell more gin and whiskey in distribution than anything else. Yeah. Akavit's just that thing that people remember yeah. us for and call for, which is which is great. Yeah, um, that's that's our in. So uh, we don't have any of your gin in front of us. So like, talk about your gin for a minute. Like, it's if you sell the most of it, like, yeah. what, what's great about it? Our gin is great. Uh, Especially that bartender's blend. That bartender's blend. Boom. That's some good Dave shit. Dave K. <laughs> all up in that recipe. Um, so we have our original dry gin. In that uh, recipe? Is there whiskey in that recipe? No. no it's actually just bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> bartender's yeah. bartender's yeah. gin is bourbon. Which we do have that barrel. We still have that barrel laid down. Do you? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's a nice combination. Nice. Like it. Bourbon and gin, right? I like it. Um, still coming for you, Dave. All right. Um, all right I'm ready. No, we uh, we started out, we wanted a somewhat traditional gin, so juniper forward. It says dry on the label. That's just to indicate that it's juniper forward. It's not very dry. It's actually really citrus forward, uh, kind of really bright, bold flavors, uh, lots of pink peppercorn um, and, uh, and grains of paradise. So 
it's got a nice spice to it, um, and it's uh, also been well recognized on the competition circuit. Um, but then we've kind of branched out. Gin's uh, a really big category where you can do a lot of different things with it as long as there's that juniper. Um, and so we did. We, uh, Like Dave said, uh, we have the Bartender's Blend Gin. We um, bust, I don't know, 30, 35 bartenders from uh, Detroit over to Grand Rapids, did a little tour of the distillery, talked about our process of making gin, um, which up until this point we've done mostly um, – basically compound gins where we're making fractions with each different botanical and then blending those together to come up with our finished blend. It gives us a bit more control over the finished product, also allows us to really amplify some flavors. Um, and so we had uh, the bartender sit down. We had, oh boy, almost 50 different botanicals that they could choose from and blend from. And then uh, six teams competed against each other. Uh, and then finally came to a consensus around one blend huh. that we would scale up and put into distribution. So uh, the bartender's blend with wow. USBG Detroit. Uh, Dave was on the winning team. Uh, Nate, I'm trying to think, Nate Adriana. Bonkowski. Uh, yeah, yeah, Nate Bonkowski yeah. was on that. Uh, and then, um, guy's a sleeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. always in there. Yeah. <laughs> He's always <laughs> sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it, that's a great one too. Um, and the, your Michigan, of course, and Michigan with, with yeah. juniper berries from Beaver Island. Yep, yep. But that so, sounds like it sucks. I don't. It's. So I never bad. want to go to Beaver Island and pick <laughs> juniper berries with you guys. Which ne- is on a, Sunday. Yeah. If you want to go, right. hop on the boat with us. Like uh, so yeah, Michigan. Bring your the, picnic basket. The, yeah, I will. <laughs> I fucking will. A little seersucker suit. The, the whole thing. <laughs> I'm doing it. That sounds so cute. Yeah. No, it's adorable. So our Michigan, yeah, this is uh, – we released this in February, I think. Uh, first all-Michigan uh, ingredient gin, uh, Juniper from Beaver Island, uh, which is the most beautiful place uh, to pick Incre- juniper. Yeah, incredible, um, incredible. And, you have uh, a video a of that, right? Yeah, Did the video is awesome. Yeah. Just so happened that there were 20-foot waves that day, so the, the ferry boat ride wow. for two and a half hours was awful, yeah. but made for a really cool video. That sounds terrible, um, actually. Yeah. I get really seasick. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> would, yeah, 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 it was rough. 20, yeah. Um, but it made, made really, really good gin. Uh, it's the same species of juniper, but has a lot of different flavors just mm-hmm. based on where it's coming from in the world and, and the fact that we distilled it fresh. So um, made a really fun gin that we'll be, we're out of stock of right now. Uh, we're going back this week uh, to pick uh, hopefully three times as much juniper this year, and we we plan to release that November one. Uh, so about four months ahead of schedule where we were last year. So be a big season. Will there be a party? Heck yeah, yeah. All right. We're just gonna make it a Beaver Island reunion at Long Road because all those people are off the island that time of year. Where, where is Beaver Island? Uh, Thirty miles off of Charlevoix. Yeah. Um, it's at the top of the state. It's, oh, okay. it's yeah. not quite uh, UP, but it's an island in between. It's close, yeah. 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 Okay, so Kyle, tell us uh, where, like, address, website, all that. Yeah, yeah. Like, let, let's, where can we find Long Road? So come see us. We're at 537 Leonard Street Northwest in Grand Rapids, uh, west side. And uh, you can get most of our products in distribution. Um, you can find us online at longroaddistillers.com, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff at longroadgr, um, and around the state in, uh, yeah, distribution at uh, over 700 different accounts now. So Congratulations. On premise, but only in Michigan, Fantastic. right? Only in Michigan, but we're exploring a couple new markets right now. Awesome. Yeah. Kyle, thanks for being with Thanks us. Thanks for coming. Thank Absolutely. you so much, guys. Absolutely. Great products. Until next Thank time, you. dine well, friends. <laughs>